what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films, film reviews and discussion from two guys who really like movies. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films, our first episode. I am here, Alan Jackson, with my partner in crime, Mr. Chris Fry. Chris. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Excited. Good. It's going to be awesome. Very exciting. This is the first episode, not only for Foot Candle Films, our film review and uh, discussion podcast, but also the first recording officially in the new Mesh studio. We're uh, very excited to be here. I wish everybody could see this place. Uh, hopefully, there'll be some photographs up online for everybody to check it out. Uh, but we're very excited. This is going to be a fun time. We've got a fun show planned as well. A uh, little bit of a format discussion here just to let everybody know where we're going with the show, and we're hoping to keep the format the same every month as well, is we are planning every month to discuss a film, one particular film. And this would be a film that our film society has just recently screened. So it's going to be fresh on our brains, something that uh, we just recently saw with a nice group of our film society members. We want to discuss the film a little more in depth here during this podcast. We've also got some film-related news and things we're hearing about different directors or productions that we're interested in we want to talk about. And then we also have some recommendations that we're both going to make about films that we think our audience might be interested in. So that's kind of the rough format, although we're going to keep it keep it kind of loose and see where it goes from here as well. I think you decided not to have the dancing girls since we're not doing video. No, right? Well, no, that's going to be uh, probably in the bonus bonus episode we put out later. I okay. think will be uh, exciting. Now, we have dancing girls here, but of course you can't see them uh, being an audio only <laughs> podcast. We're very sorry about that. So let's go ahead and get started. Chris, you ready? Sure, yeah. Let's All dive right, into it. great. Your coffee's filled up. You don't have anything in I front know. of you here. So hopefully we'll be able to keep things exciting enough for you to, to stay <laughs> into it here. All right, so with our uh, first part, we're going to talk about our first film, which is Win Win. What are you so stressed about? Money is tight. This boiler sucks. How much to fix it? Six grand. Holy. My law practice is struggling. Mr. Poplar has been deemed incapacitated by this court. Should we win? And the team is hopeless. I can't watch this. Who's that? You're looking for Mr. Poplar? He's my grandfather. I came to live with him. I don't have a grandson. Yeah, you do. Okay. With the film Win Win, we have a, a interesting film here that we showed at our film society just last week. It stars Paul Giamatti and Amy Ryan as Mike and Jackie Flaherty. And they are a couple... Mike's going through some uh, stressful time in his life. Uh, he's not only a lawyer, but he's also a high school wrestling coach and uh, having some financial issues as a family. And not to get too deep into what happens in the film, but we'll leave it to say that they have some interesting challenges approach when Mike makes a decision, a questionable decision, to try to earn some more money by taking on the guardianship of one of his clients. And by doing so, he then be- gets connected with that guardian's grandson, who uh, just happens to be a wrestling phenom and makes it a very interesting situation for them. So with this film, Chris, I'm going to toss it over to you to get some feedback first because I'm really anxious to hear what you thought about this. Um, But let me set this up for you. Sure. Everything about this film, when I read about it coming out, almost was saying, Alan Jackson, you're going to love this film. From being Paul Giamatti, who I'm a big fan of, uh, from the director, Thomas McCarthy, which I didn't mention, but I've, I've enjoyed uh, his other films as well. The Visitor, The Station Agent, both very good films. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's a 
dramedy, you know, the, the whole comedy drama mix, which is normally one of the favorite gem- genres for me. I enjoy oh, yeah? that. Okay. I do like dramas with a nice mixture of comedy in them. Everything about this seemed to just say, all right, Alan, you're going to love this film. Before I tell you how I felt about it, though, does that formula, is this, does this type of film, was it appealing to you going into it? And then how did it meet your expectations? Okay, let's, you know, that it has a sports background. Let me speak to that first. You mm-hmm. have things like Seabiscuit, The Blind Side, things like that. In general, to me, it's so formulaic that, you know, the story of the underdog come from behind. You know how it's going to turn out. Otherwise, they wouldn't have made a movie from it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's right. like, obviously, they're not going to try to depress you. Um, so going into it, I wasn't really that excited about you it. You weren't. Honestly. Oh, no, okay. I mean, I like Paul Giamatti. The, right. you know, the lead in even it. with it being Thomas McCarthy kind of being a little more of a not a mainstream director very much right um and he's real understated and mm-hmm. you know a previous foot candle film that we had was the visitor um, right. so and you know um I mean I knew it would be good but I wasn't excited you know it wasn't like I was really looking forward to it and um I was really impressed with the way they handled it um and I don't I actually a lot of times being a balance between comma comedy and drama or I think I almost said comedy or yeah, whatever. Crime. I don't know what no, I was that would be a crime movie. Right. And, right. Yeah, yeah, drama. Yeah, it's a cr- um, crime but movie. I, I usually like movies that kind of focus on one genre because a lot of times I think if you try to spread yourself too thin, mm-hmm. you, you could be an action, a comedy, and a drama, then you it doesn't work. Okay. Really, if you're going to be a comedy, be The Hangover. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be a drama, be something like The English oh. Patient. Don't try to... Don't try to do too many things. Do one thing and do it well. Don't be a jack of all trades. Mm-hmm. So going into this, I was kind of you know, skeptical or whatever. Um, but I, I thought they pulled it off. I okay. thought they really did a good job. And I think a lot of that was the writing. Mm. Um, I think the director kind of knows what he likes to do. He likes to take people and get them in situations and make it very slice of life, very normal. So it's not stilted and not mm-hmm. unrealistic, but yet he does add some comedy elements in there that kind of keep it from getting too heavy. Sure. I mean, I think he, I think he does a good job of it. And actually this is only, I believe, his third film. Yes. And I wonder if he's going to end up being like Woody Allen a couple of years from now where he's just basically repeating himself. He's only done three, mm-hmm. so you can't mm-hmm. really see if he's... Re- and I think they're getting progressively better, which we'll get into that probably later. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. But I, yeah. I, I really liked it. I thought the acting was solid. And So how did, how did you feel? Oh, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. It actually exceeded my expectations okay. on many levels. I... Um, what I what I was talking about with the comedy and drama is, I'm I enjoy straight comedies. There there are many great comedies, but that's also a very hard genre to pull off. Is to be a straight comedy. Sure. I generally find more laughs in that awkward humor that comes out of drama, that comes out of more family situations. I found so so many of the moments in this film to be just downright hysterical. I mean, with some of the lines delivered, some of the situations that they found themselves in. But I love having that that dramatic side to it. The whole film as well. Um, so I thought, the, I thought the blend was really good. I, I thought it was great. I thought Paul Giamatti did a wonderful job in the film. Granted, he's still playing Paul Giamatti, which is something that I, I think when you see his performances, he's still playing the Paul Giamatti character for me. Sure. There wasn't a whole lot of stretch to it. But in a film like this, you needed the Paul Giamatti character. It fit. It fit the script, you know, and I, I don't know if I could have pictured many other actors playing this role as effectively as he did. So you're saying in a way, like, if you know who Paul Giamatti is, it's not like this is an Oscar-winning performance because he doesn't exceed or do anything extraordinary, no. but 
he's with the stuff he's given, he does a great job. And it's, yes. he's, okay. he's, he's, he's perfect for the film. Sure, I think. In sure. other words, the film okay. was kind of custom made for him. It seemed gotcha. like, okay. but it wasn't really much of a stretch for him. I right. mean, he was playing the same Paul Giamatti character. He always does. Um, you know, he and his wife, their relationship with Amy Ryan, who, mm-hmm. you know, from the office. And I think she's had a few other small part uh, gone, baby gone. She sure. did a really good job in, uh, that relationship, I was really, I was almost inspired by, in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Because I'm so used to in films, especially a little more of a slightly independent film films, where you have the couples and they go through their turmoils and it just becomes such, such heavy drama between the husband and wife. Here we have a, a family where they do go through a, a situation where it does test them a little bit. Sure. But it was very natural. Uh, for example, in the film, you know, Mike does something that his wife doesn't learn about until much later in the film. She finds out she's upset. Mm-hmm. That's natural. Sure. It was played very natural. He has to go sleep on the couch at somebody else's house for a night. That's also somewhat natural. He comes back the next morning. They talk about it and they work together to move forward. Sure. That felt to me so grounded and so nice to see in a film where so many times they could take that element and just really run with it and just make it a very heavy drama from the, from the family side. Mm-hmm. This is a family that worked together, and it was really inspiring for me to see that. That, uh, you know, yeah, they had their friction, they had their problems, but the whole time it's what are we going to do? How are we going to fix this? How are we going to get through this situation? And that was really, really nice to see all the way through. I have a question for you. Sure. I admit, I've never seen Rudy. I have seen Hoosiers. You haven't seen Rudy? No. Um, but have you uh, seen The Station Agent? Or we'll get to that later. I, I saw The Station <laughs> Agent a long time ago. Oh, okay. And I have not seen it again okay. recently. I planned to see it before him, but I got slack and did gotcha. not. So, okay, yeah. so I did my homework and I saw The Station Agent, but I didn't watch Rudy. But from a sports movie perspective. Yeah. Because I think you dig, it seems like you dig those. I do. I, I, lo- I really like good sports movies. Were you let down? Do you feel like this was it? And you did it have enough sports movie in it for you? Or you, you enjoyed it outside of that? And you wouldn't really recommend this to somebody who's like, oh, it was a great wrestling sports yeah, movie. Yeah, I, I wouldn't re- recommend it as a sports movie. It gotcha. definitely had the wrestling element. There were some great wrestling scenes in it. But I didn't see it as a sports film at the end of the day. And okay. I think if anybody goes into this looking for it to be a rousing sports film, they're going to be a little let down. Sure. You need to go into this to see about the relationships and about the dynamics and how people work with one another and relate to one another. Um, that's really the, the shining part of this, this film. It's not the sports. The sports is a nice added extra element to it that I think, I think helped move it along. It gave them a focal point for all of them to kind of come together towards and work towards. But um, I don't think it was a sports film by the traditional sense in that in that regard. I still can't get past this fact you haven't seen Rudy. I know. I know. Wow. Okay. Well, that, that, that's going to be an upcoming stream. I'm going to make that a recommendation <laughs> for you before the uh, before the episode's done here. That's fair. Let's talk about a few other people in the film. Um, you go ahead. Yeah, I, um, Bobby Cannavale, who played the friend. Okay. In the film, how did yes. how did you? I have an opinion, but I'm going to go ahead and push it off on you. How did you feel about him? All right. Uh, so just. For background, he plays uh, Mike's friend, who it appears by the early in the film, we're learning that he and his wife have are splitting separated in the process least, of splitting like because of some extramarital affairs that she was going through. Yes. Um, and he's fairly bitter about it. Yes. Um, yes. I at first did not like his character because okay. I thought he was almost in there for comic relief. He almost seemed to be. Let me just throw this character in there to give somebody for Mike to play off of and to talk about his situation with. Right. As the movie progressed, though, I really enjoyed his character more. Okay. He probably still didn't rise for me much above the comic relief, but it did. 
I just his character worked when he got into being assistant coach and helping with the team. It, it, it worked for me. What did you think? Well, I, I knew he was there probably for comedy, comedic relief, but I was a little disappointed that I felt like that was, you know, if I had to pick a problem with the film, I would say that that was a weakness for the really? film. I mean, I enjoyed, you know, the, the comedic elements he did, but I felt like there wasn't enough meat behind the character. He didn't show any kind of arc to me at all. Okay. And um, the disappointment to bring up someone else, Jeffrey Tambor was in there and I thought he would actually have a lot more to do. And it was interesting at the beginning of the film, he plays Mike's uh, coworker, I guess. I, I think they're, 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 they work together at the law firm and yeah, they also coach no, together on the wrestling team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, I thought that he would have more to do. And it was interesting because I don't know if this came about in the writing or it came when they were shooting that things kind of, you know, he was there at the beginning, Jeffrey Tambor, and then it shifted away to him to the, the other character, Bobby Cannavale's character. And then they never really came back and fleshed out Jeffrey Tamor's character. So it just like, I don't know, that was kind of a weakness. And both of those guys, I think, are very talented. But I was disappointed that it wasn't fleshed out a little bit more okay. with them. Two more quick things I wanted sure. to ask you about the film, sure. just get your opinion on. One having to be the, the young man, uh, oh, Alex Schaefer, yeah. who played Kyle. Yeah, we should talk about him. Um, <laughs> he is the grandson of the uh the client of mike's that comes to live with mike because of the whole arrangement that mike's set himself up into right turns out to be a wrestling uh star from his uh past high school career mm-hmm. which of course works out perfectly for mike yeah, but conveniently <laughs> uh tell me what do you think of what do you think of him as a character as an actor i thought he was really really good um now granted you know the way he did kind of a precious delivery of his dialogue uh, that that uh, she won an Academy Award or was nominated. I can't remember the actress's name. But anyways, right. <laughs> I yes, ramble, I, I digress. Yes. But she, he, you know, he didn't have a lot of dialogue, but when he did, he just kind of mutters it and delivers it. But that's very teenager. So mm-hmm. it seemed very – there again, I don't know if it's him or the director casting him or the right – you know, you don't know. But for what he had, he delivered it very convincingly. He seemed really – good you know yeah. and so i i really liked him i thought he was really strong i mean it remains to be seen if he'll be you know somebody other than this one role but yeah. I, I was really impressed with it and it reminded me a lot of a young sean penn <laughs> yeah because okay, uh, even that. though it's a completely different movie from fast times at ridgemont high and it may have been the hair because the character the wrestler has like this blonde kind of crazy hair and it kind of reminds me of sean penn fast times at ridgemont yeah. high but um I don't know. I think I think there's something there. So yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Well, my understanding is um, I agree with you on every note you just said. I have no disagreement with you. I thought he was great. Uh, Sounds like it's his first film. Okay. And he's actually a natural wrestler as well, which I thought helped as well. So uh, I thought he did a great job. I'd be really curious to see if acting is something he continues with or not. But no matter what, for this film, he uh, he he hit the mark uh, in my opinion. Um, And last thing I was going to ask about with this. Uh, Bert Young, we had uh, he was he played the grandfather, oh, so yeah. right, right, uh, right, right. just a kind of a fun character. He's you may know him from the Rocky films. He uh, he's been around for quite a while, and he plays the actual grandfather who Mike takes on as a guardian. And uh, small part, but I thought sure. effective. He played someone who is being affected by dementia to some degree, and you know had his own dealings. But he's also in there for a little bit of comedic relief, sure. and I thought he played it pretty well. Oh, I, I think he definitely did. And I one note that that kind of actually brings out is that's what I appreciate about Thomas McCarthy is when he's writing these movies, he takes several issues that are very important, such as elderly people and mm-hmm. their care and what happens to them when they don't have relatives and things like that. And then it takes 
the story of the young wrestler who has a kind of delinquent mom and, yes. and it takes a struggling lawyer because of the economy. And he doesn't choose one of those and lecture you on any one of those. He just kind of says, okay, here's some situations, puts them together in a movie and ends up just letting you think about them rather than giving you easy answers. And that's something that I, I really appreciate. And I wish more films were like that instead of being heavy handed and ramming something down your throat sure. about a delinquent mother or about how we treat the elderly right. or about, you know, so, or like you did with the, uh, with uh, the visitor with immigration correct. laws and all. Correct. So it, it was not, it never heavy handed. No, which I agree. It kind of just said, this is kind of a situation mm-hmm. and let you see some sides of it. And, and it's more play. about how do real people deal with these situations when they're exposed to them. That's, that's right. the important part of his films. I think last thing I'll ask you about is the ending. How'd you feel about the ending? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say without spoiling anything for people not haven't watched the film yet. It does bring everything together. Mm-hmm. The ending kind of shows you a, I'm assuming maybe a few months later type of Seemingly. jump ahead. Sure. It doesn't tell you a time period, but you get the impression that it's been at least a couple of months. Uh, and we see where Mike is. We see where his family is. We see where Kyle is. How do you think that wrapped up for you? Did, did, did that put a I, button on it for you? Is yeah, it, I, I liked, I appreciated the ending. I liked it. I think it left some in our audience, our foot candle audience, when they watched it, wanting to, an actual explanation. Okay, now what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, what exactly is this? I mean, it did kind of spell some things out, but not totally explain it to you. Right. So I, I liked it. I found it very satisfying and I guess in a way somewhat non-Hollywood, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, you know, I kind of appreciate as well. So It was, it was a little quick for me. A little, uh, a little quick. I, okay. I would have liked a little more little more time with that ending. Okay. Uh, it just felt like it was kind of, uh, well, we've got two more minutes. Let's quickly wrap up and show everybody where everything mm-hmm. is right now. I would have liked a little more of that. That's okay. probably my only complaint of the film is I thought the ending coda was just a little quick. Otherwise, though, I mean, I think it still worked. I came out of the theater with the same feeling that I wanted to have throughout the rest of the film. Just, I wouldn't have minded having a, a little bit more breathing room with that ending. So, Sure. Yeah, what did you think? One more. Um, well, sure. We keep no, adding one more. <laughs> but yeah. this is my one more, and this will be my last more. Um, what did you think about any of the cinematography in the film? Did you think it was just there was nothing? Did any shots capture your eye or anything special to you? Or nothing, nothing. I can't remember any shots. I can't remember anything that jumped out at me. It's. I think. I think he's got a style where it's, he's going to let the story and the acting Dictate run with it, he's and sure. he's just there to observe. Gotcha. And it worked for me. I It was never distracting either. Right. So that's the thing with cinematography. It can either be shots that you remember and you love uh, afterwards, or it can be almost distracting in a way. It was neither with this okay. film. It was just, it was what it was. That's, that's the way I saw it. And that's, that's kind of the way I, nothing really jumped out at me either, which in a way, I guess, like you're saying, it wasn't distracting, so that's good. But I wish I would have had a couple of memorable shots that I could kind of hang my hat on and say, yeah, I remember that moment because of what was going on in the film and also how it was shot. Sure. Um, with something like The Station Agent, which was his first film, I re- that had lots of moments in it. Maybe it was because it was in a train yard. But there were I mean, just beautiful shots that were almost like paintings. Yeah. So, you know, I was hoping to see a couple of those Mm -hmm. in win-win, but not so much. But the rest of the film carried it anyway. Yeah, exactly. Great. So, unfortunately, for our first episode, we have no disagreement. No. Sounds like we're pretty (laughs) much on the same page with this. Win-win. We both really enjoyed it. Um, It was playing in select theaters just recently. Hopefully, it's getting a little bit wider release as we're recording this. And it should be out on DVD in the next probably four to five months, I would assume, as well. Sure. So we hope everybody gets a chance to check it out. We we enjoyed it. Our film society group enjoyed it. Uh, we definitely think uh, Thomas McCarthy keeps moving in the right direction as far as filmmaking goes. 
We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. We're going to move on to our next segment, which has to do with news. Uh, and this is a part I'm actually kind of excited about this, Chris, because I have prepared some headlines. Excellent. And I'm going to use you as my sounding board. Basically, okay. I have prepared headlines. And actually, all three of the headlines are ones I think you are going to have an opinion on. So what I've done, I have not prepped <laughs> so you on So they're going to get to hear me rant. Is this is almost saying. my awesome. ask Chris his opinion <laughs> on these, these, these uh, headlines. Excellent. Having to do with some upcoming film productions or things that maybe are being rumored right now. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Okay. So first one I've got. And this is the one I'm the most interested in. Okay. Supposedly, the rumor is that Lars von Trier. Oh, awesome. <laughs> is going to be making another Five Obstructions film. Really? Okay. And the He's rumor do is. a remake. Well, <laughs> hold on. And I want, I'm going to want you to explain the Five Obstructions sure. here in a moment for the listeners because I, I guarantee you there's a lot of people who probably have not had any experience with it. Sure. But the rumor is that he's going to make another Five Obstructions film with Martin Scorsese. Wow. And the film is going to be Taxi Driver. Wow. Go. <laughs> that is that is mind-blowing and awesome, and I can't wait to see it. And maybe he'll be allowed back into cans to show it after well, he got kicked out because of melancholy. Yes, he's um, <laughs> got some interesting viewpoints on things. But why don't you go, tell me a little bit about The Five Obstructions. Sure. I know you've talked to me about it before. Honestly, I have not seen it. Sure. But I know this oh, is man. something you're a big fan of. Yeah, so. I'm, I... Lars von Trier, it's kind of like one of those music groups. You don't admire the person, but you love what they do, their right. body of work. Yeah, I think he's kind of a freak. But um, as far as his ideas and the directing style, he's amazing. Five Obstructions, basically, was he took a filmmaker who made kind of an avant-garde film in the 1960s. cannot remember the guy's name. Um, but it was basically like a short film, and it inspired Lars von Trier. So he then caught up with this guy. This guy's maybe 70 years old or something. And he's like, okay, you made this groundbreaking film. Now I want you to remake it and five times. And every time you make it, I'm going to give you stipulations of how you have to do it. And he's like, so the guy's like, okay. And, of course, he paid him. And they were you know, kind of colleagues mm-hmm. in a way. So he asked the guy, just for an example, I won't go through all five obstructions. But for the first one, he said, tell me a country that you are afraid of. You know, you wouldn't want to visit. You would like the last place in the world. He's like, well, Cuba, there's a lot of uprising there. They don't allow filmmakers a lot of free, you know, it's kind of hard to get into the country. They have all these restrictions. He's right. like, so he's like, okay, great. You're going to have to make this film in Cuba. And he gave him all these other, like he stacked up all these restraints. Like you can't hire professional actors. You can't do all this. And he gave him on, the guy goes there and, you know, shuffles through it and makes the film and then shows it along his interior. He says, okay, excellent. And then he does the same type thing again. So he does that five times. He does five that five different times. versions and he, and of the same And he keeps making it harder and harder for the guy to succeed, but somehow he does. And it's completely different films every time. Okay. And basically you feel like Lars von Trier, you don't know that he really admires him at the beginning of the film, but by the end of the film, you realize that Lars von Trier actually really looks up to this guy. But you wouldn't know that throughout the film because the way he hammers away at this guy and is kind of mean and vindictive to the guy and you're just like wow he's such a jerk but then at the end you realize it's basically the whole movie is like a love letter to this director saying you are so amazing i can't believe what you can do your creativity inspires me so it's actually kind of 
interesting to see that kind of window into Lars von Trier's who he is as a person. And this so, first five obstructions was just a single film. It was not a series or anything, right? Right. The first film wasn't called The Five Obstructions. It was, or maybe it was. Well, it was The Perfect Human. Was okay, the, the Perfect film, Human. Yes. The Perfect, thank you. It's been a while. Been the like Perfect Human was the film that the original film The original guy made. did, okay. But then the film, The Five Obstructions, is about the reconstruction of this film. Right, 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 right. And okay. he makes him do it five times. Interesting. And, uh, yeah, it's, so to take that and make Martin Scorsese do it, is amazing. And actually, I hope, which, okay, so Lars von Trier, one of the things the guy also, like, he's like, what's something in cinema today you don't like? And he's like, I hate um, animation. Like, right. the whole use of animation and everything. I think, like, how they overlay it over movies sometimes, mm-hmm. like um, Waking Life and stuff right, like that. He's right. like, I can't stand that. He's like, okay, you're going to have to do a five of, one of the, you're going to have to do your film, The Perfect Human, with that animation uh-huh. style. And he was like, what? You know, because he hates it. He sure. detests it because he doesn't think it's creative at all. And so, like, to challenge Martin Scorsese on that level and say, I want you to remake Taxi Driver using Muppets or something like that. Sure. He'd be like, what? Because that's degrading to my subject matter. And he'd be like, I don't care. Do it. And like, if he can bring that kind of game to Martin Scorsese and actually challenge him, which some people would say he's gotten kind of lazy yeah. instead of his filmmaking recently. Sure. You know, he's very accomplished, but he can kind of do whatever he wants now. You mm-hmm. know? Um, I think that would be, okay. that would be amazing. It Absolutely sounds really amazing. Well, what's, what's funny about this is that supposedly there was a lot of rumors before this about Martin Scorsese remaking Taxi Driver with Robert De Niro now. Wow. But it turns out that huh. that rumor was actually more Based about on the, five the, lar- the, the five obstructions. So the question to me is going to be, will they be using the same actors? Oh, is see, it be, okay. Maybe that's an obstruction. I don't know. Right. Actually, that would be, oh, and use Jodie Foster. Every, oh, yeah. Actually, that, I could see Lars Rontier saying, okay, I want you to take, A, it'd be hard to get them all probably, get the entire cast or mm-hmm. most of the and remake a couple of scenes and you have to do it. Like exactly on and like all that. How could Robert De Niro give a convincing performance, but yet not just parody what he yeah. had already done? All those yeah. like could be really that's the kind of stuff that's like amazing. And Lars von Trier, although I think he's personally crazy, yeah, that could really work and be well, awesome. Uh, there's still a lot of questions about this. I mean, it, but it is a very substantial rumor at this point. In okay. other words, a lot of film review sites are saying this is this is happening. So wow, very awesome. very interesting. I thought you got a kick out. Oh of yeah, that, that's so incredible. Have some interest there. All right, next news item number two. Okay. Have you seen the trailer for David Fincher's The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? You haven't seen it I yet. I sigh. Have. I have. You have? Um, yeah. And? The only reason I would be interested in seeing that movie is because David Fincher does yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Um, that being said, you know. Well, you saw the original, right? I did. I saw the original Do you three. like it? Yeah, but it was more for the story. And not for how it was shot. You know, I didn't okay. think it was shot interestingly. So, you know. Adding David Fincher to the mix. Is adding, that yeah, it would, it would make it interesting visually. Okay. Um, but the kind of negative to it is I already know the story. I already right. know how it's going to turn out. So, Well, that's my problem with it. It is a mystery movie. Right. And, you know, mystery movies being remade yeah. loses a little bit in the translation because you know where it's going. Now, right. if anybody's going to do something different with it, David Fincher would be the one to do it. Right. Uh, of course, this is a little background for you, you know, all of you. Obviously, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is part of a trilogy of books mm-hmm. that were adapted into films right. in Sweden? I believe so, or Denmark. Sweden, one of those. Denmark. Yeah. And very successful films. Very good films, too. I've seen the first two. I haven't seen the third one. They're both good. Sure. Um, but they are murder mystery films. They are, you know, uh, 
heavy crime, heavy drama. And now they're remaking them. We have uh, starring in this one. Let's see, who do we have? Daniel Craig, Daniel Craig the plays lead, right? the lead. And then a an, uh, fairly newcomer girl is playing... Uh, the girl. S- uh, s- uh, what's <laughs> her name? Salander. Uh, Elizabeth Salander. Uh, Elizabeth Salander. Sure. And so the trailers come out. The film it doesn't come out until December, I don't think. But okay. the trailer's out. The trailer's so it's out. Oscar bait, maybe? Exactly, okay. right. Uh, the trailer is interesting. And that is a, edited to a techno version of Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin. Right. Um, a very David Fincher type trailer and that he's going to do something a little different, much like he did with the social network a couple of years ago. Right. Um, so uh, I liked the trailer, but the whole time I kept thinking, well, I know the story, so I'm not still very interested in the movie, but maybe if I knew that there was going to be a, a different take on it, it could be a little more interesting. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, th- I think I'll probably do a wait and see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because, that probably sounds like a good movie. I mean, so. although I admire the director, I probably will see it at some point. Will I run out as soon as it comes out? You know, I'll have to, I'll have to see. I will say, though. There's David th- Fincher there. David Fincher, like he used an Arcade Fire song for yeah. um, Benjamin Button. Uh-huh. He used a Radiohead song for a social network. I don't know whether those are his choices or the firm that puts together the trailer. I would imagine he's pretty involved with that. I, I think I remember reading that he is very involved okay. with the trailer cuts of this. So, so um, yeah, sometimes it seems a little bit too clever that he comes up with such good music to mm-hmm. make a trailer by. Um, but you got to give them to him. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. The trailer got me a little more excited than I was before. Okay. But I'm still, I'm like you. I, I know the story. I know where it's going. If I hadn't seen the original, I'd probably be extremely excited right now. Right. But the fact that I know the original, I know the story, I'm a little less excited right now. Sure. Okay. Last news item I've got for you. Uh, what do you know about Moonrise Kingdom, the new Wes Anderson film oh, that's wow. being shot right now? Awesome. I was okay. wondering if he was going to do something because I hadn't heard from him since Fantastic Mr. Fox. Right. So. Right. And you know, maybe give him a little background on okay. your thoughts on Mr. Anderson. What's uh, uh, of, of his film filmography so far? Um, well, he kind of came onto the scene and really amazed me with like, you know, Rushmore and Bottle Rocket. Mm-hmm. Um, then by the time he got to right before Fantastic Mr. Fox. Right. Um, which I guess that was. Um, what was that? Life Aquatic, maybe was right Life before? Aquatic was right before okay. uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. So you know he. Oh no, I'm sorry. The the Darjeeling Limited. Oh, Darjeeling Limited. All right. Yeah. So yeah, he had kind of become, in a way, kind of seemingly stuck in a rut, kind of like Woody Allen. He has this very interesting visual style, quirky characters that almost seem stereotypes of themselves, and like perfect for Sundance because they're kind of that independent, quirky feeling to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of got to feel. Repetitive. Yeah, yeah. And then he broke out of the mold with Fantastic Mr. Fox, which still had some of the stylized Oh, it was still dialogue. very much a Wes Anderson film. Right, but it was stop Just, motion and more kind yeah. of for kids, but, you know, there are some very adult things in there. But it was it was like a breath of fresh air, mm-hmm. and then he just dropped off the face of the planet. Well, obviously, he's been working on Moonrise Kingdom, which, okay. uh, listen to this cast. This, okay. is, this is where I get kind of excited about it. Uh, Moonrise Kingdom, starring Bruce Willis, okay. Edward Norton, Francis McDormand, Tilda Swinton, wow. Bill Murray, Jason Schwartzman. Wow. Which, so, you know, Bill Murray and Jason Schwartzman, that's like... That's his, that's his go-to guys. Yeah, right. But the rest of them, you mix Ed Norton in the mix. And I'm sorry, I really admire Ed Norton as, a, as an actor. I'm very anxious to see anything he does. Knowing that he's going to be in a Wes Anderson film has that's all of a sudden got me excited. And he plays a uh, Boy Scout leader. The film, <laughs> uh, I think, is a period piece. Oh, really? 1960s New England. 
Huh. Um, okay. Centering on a young boy and young girl who fall in love, run away together, turning their small town upside down in the process. Hmm. So okay. very interesting. Supposedly two newcomers are playing the young boy and girl. And then all these other actors are the townspeople, the parents, and some of this. Huh. Sounds very interesting to me. But I can't shake the idea that it's still going to be a very stereotypical Wes Anderson film from what I'm seeing. Well, would it help that you haven't seen a Wes Anderson joint in a while, so when you see this one, maybe it'll seem fresh and seem... My problem was when the Darjeeling Limited came out, I was very excited because I had loved every Wes Anderson film up until that point. And actually, The Royal Tenenbaums, to this day, is probably one of my top 20 films of all time. Sure. I love that film. Uh, Life Aquatic was good, not great. Darjeeling Limited, I was very disappointed in just because I felt like he was going through the same motions again, and I just felt like I'd seen it all. Sure. Fantastic Mr. Fox was good because it was animated. It was a family film. I could actually watch it with my kids, and it was fun. Um, I'm excited for this, but I can't shake that feeling that it's just going to be the same style, the same visual elements to it, and that's 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 starting to run its ground. I, I really hope he does something different. This is his first period piece, which could be that maybe could a little be interesting. interesting. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we won't know until we start seeing some of the footage if he's going for a, the same comedic, uh, quirky tone that he had in his other ones, or if this was a little, little different. But it sounds like, which I know is the way I feel about him, if only more filmmakers were like Wes Anderson, that would be a good thing. But you're kind of holding him to a higher standard because you know he's probably capable of so much. So instead of kind yeah. of retreading familiar ground, please break out. Yes. But even if you didn't, your retread film would probably still be better than oh, 90% well, of the movies out there. Trust me, <laughs> so, I will see this film. I will go out and see this film as quickly as I can get my hands on it. I just, I'm cautious. Sure. I just, I really would love to see him do something different. I'd love to see him break out and do a sci-fi film or a horror film or a straight comedy or a straight romance drama, something, um, instead of the same quirky stuff that he's he's just gotten in a pattern of doing. So. All right, that's my three news items. Oh, that went well. I got all three of them new ones on you. Yeah, didn't know as much about it, hardly any of them. Impressive. So that is very, very nice. Uh, last portion we're going to go to on the show is recommendations. And this is a part of the show where we thought it'd just be fun for us to both recommend one film that we think either it could be an older film, could be a new film, really anything goes, but something that we've seen and we think we want to share with the audience that you may not have checked out or seen seen before. So, Chris, can I start it off with you? What's your recommendation for the month? Well, you know, we're getting into summer, and you get a lot of formulaic, you know, Kung Fu Panda 2 or Hangover 2. You get a lot of sequels, nothing really original. Um, so I'm going to recommend something that I thought was very original, and it's kind of a take on a caper movie. Mm-hmm. And it came out in 2008, and it was The Brothers Bloom. This will be the last one. I'll never ask you to do another con again. The largest private residence on the eastern seaboard, home of our final mark. Penelope Stamp lived at home her whole life. So what kind of stuff do you do? I collect hobbies. Wow. So, who's in? And I really, it's out on DVD, so it's you know, easily uh, accessible. But it was by director Ryan Johnson, and it stars Mark Ruffalo, Adrian Brody, Rachel Weisz. And it just kind of takes kind of like a dirty, rotten scoundrels idea where you have this time it's actually two brothers and they, you know, turn capers, do heists, con people. And they kind of take that idea and turn it on its head. And um, it's just it's a fabulous movie. Um, There's a lot. It's fun because there's some comedy in it, but there's also some, you know, deeper themes in there about 
what brothers mean to each other and kind of what's the purpose of life. And I don't know. It's just great film. Um, and Ryan Johnson, actually, give him a little soapbox about him. He's a director that I really like. Um, he's also working on a science fiction film right now, which will be interesting. But the movie before that that kind of gave him the go-ahead to do Brothers Bloom was uh, Brick. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's also a good film. So I guess I'll get a two-for-one, you know, watch Brick. You and I actually saw one. Brick together, too. Yes. So that was something yeah. we were both pretty impressed with. So that. Um, that, that's going to be my recommendation is uh, oh, Brothers good Bloom. One. Very, very good movie. I, I love that movie as well. Uh, my recommendation, I'm going to go way, way back time-wise, but okay. it's just something that I got a chance to catch back up with a few months ago. And I'm really encouraging people to check out if they have any interest in film whatsoever is uh, Metropolis. A little bit of a history with this. This is Fritz Lang, 1927, uh, as a German expressionist film. And if, even if you've never seen it, you have seen its influences in just about any science fiction film that's been made since then. The architecture, the models of robots and, and, cre- and, the, and the look of the film has been carried over into so many other films. I mean, Star Wars rips it off. Blade Runner rips it off. Uh, you look at the Tim Burton Batman films, and basically Gotham City is Metropolis. Metropolis. You know, okay. This is a, influence, a huge, huge uh, influential film for a lot of filmmakers. What's interesting about it is the film was made in 1927. German government slashed a lot of the film out, editing it to release it. So over the years, especially in the last 10 years, they have uncovered more full versions of the film. They actually found, I think in 2008, a more complete version somewhere in a cave in Argentina. Hmm. It's a strange story to it. 30 more minutes of the film that had been cut out of the original. Hmm. If you saw the film 10 years ago when it had been released... Uh, re-released in theaters on DVD, it was missing a lot of parts. Uh, So in other words, they had to kind of put some some slates up on the screen to say, this is what's happening right now. It's a silent film, but they're putting slates on the screen to say, this is what's happening during this missing footage. So there's a lot of gaps that had to be filled in. You've got 30 more minutes of the film put back in. And you can tell when it shifts from the original footage to the, the, the footage they recovered, the quality drops dramatically. Okay. So it's a very cobbled together film right now. And it still has some slides to say, okay, what's happening right now is the main character is doing this, this, and this. But even if you, if you can get past the story, which is still very chaotic and doesn't always make sense, <laughs> if you can get past the story and the, the varying quality of film, the actual filmmaking process to know that this was 1927, almost sure. 100 years ago, and you've got these kind of ideas and these kind of visuals being made is absolutely amazing to watch. So I really got a kick out of watching this. It, it was on Netflix Instant when I watched it. Okay. It may still be there for anybody who has that. It's a great way to watch it. Uh, you know, Just be prepared for a very disjointed story because of the editing that's gone through all these years. But to watch it and see how influential it was, obviously, on the science fiction films we've seen since then, was just was really, really fun to watch. So I really enjoyed it. I'll have to check that out. I, I checked out a version, but it was probably before a lot of the restoration stuff. And although I could appreciate kind of the, the innovation that they were doing at the time and South, it still you know, kind of holds up innovation-wise – um, yeah, the story was so all over the place oh, that it kind of really took me out of it. And I was like, Ugh. you know, I can't see why people, I mean, I can see why people rave yeah. about it, but it just didn't like, it's better now. Okay. It's not great, but it is better now. I could follow the story okay. this time around. Uh, I just watched it from more. It, it, it's much the same way. I look at citizen Kane, although citizen Kane, I love every aspect of that film, 
he's still watching these films to say the filmmaking process and techniques they were adopting back in the early 1900s. It's amazing to think uh, what they were doing with film and how they they were crafting these these uh, these works of art. That's what just amazes me. So I definitely encourage anybody who's got any interest in filmmaking at all, definitely want to check that film out. It's it's a it's a journey to explore and uh, but just be prepared for some frustrations with the story and and the disjointed nature of it all. So sure. great. All right, so that's our recommendations for this month. We will certainly have some more for you next month. Uh, this is a monthly podcast, so we're going to be very excited to bring you one of these shows every single month. Next month, we're going to do the same thing. We'll be talking about our feature film of the month, uh, which we haven't quite picked out yet, but hopefully we'll be knowing before too long. We do know that on June 30th, we'll be showing a French-Russian film called The Concert. That yes. won't be the one we'll be discussing next month, but it will be a foot candle film that you might want to come sure. check out. That's going to be in beautiful downtown Hickory at the Carolina Theater on June 30th. Uh, we will have our next foot candle screening in Catawba County on uh, the second Thursday of July. Correct. And then we'll be talking about whatever that film is in our July podcast episode. We'll also have more recommendations, and we'll have more news to discuss as well. Chris, how do you think we did? Uh, hopefully okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think we did okay. Nobody, it was fun. Nobody passed out. Nobody's uh, hurt or injured in any way, so that's, that's good. That's a good thing. Uh, hopefully everybody out there enjoyed it as well. Just a few notes in closing. We do want to thank a few people uh, for helping make this podcast a reality. We've got Mary Margaret Baker, our mesh director, who uh, helps coordinate everything and make everything a possibility. We've also got Nick Barkley running the audio board for us. Nick, thank you very much for all your help today. Uh, and just anybody else who's been a Foot Candle member over the years, we appreciate all the support. For more information about our film society, you can visit us at www.footcandle.org. And then the Mesh Network, which is, you know, as we mentioned at the top of the, the broadcast here, we are pioneering with this episode. We're going to have a lot more content coming out with the Mesh over the next few months. You can always check out what's going on with the Mesh Network, a variety of podcast shows and programs at www.themesh, T-H-E, M-E-S-H dot TV. And we'll be posting all new episodes, both at the mesh dot dot TV, as well as we'll be featuring them on the foot candle website too, for this particular show. Um, so with that, we're going to wrap up our first episode. Thanks everybody for listening, sticking with us during the show. And we'll look forward to talking to you next month. been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard. <laughs>